Hello, everyone. Welcome to That Triathlon Life podcast. I am Paula Findlay. I'm Eric Lagerstrom. I'm Nick Goldston. And we are with you here after only two days since our last podcast. Um, Eric and I are professional triathletes. Nick is a professional musician. And we love answering your questions and just talking about triathlon and talking about what we're up to and uh, just creating like a cool community. So thank you to everyone who listens. And uh, because Thursday's our normal release date, we decided to do a real hard back-to-back. And we're recording on Wednesday right now um, in order to get this out for you guys tomorrow. Insanity. We weren't going to do it, but Nick is a glutton for punishment and insisted, <laughs> ah. so here we are. I'm like, do we even have enough questions after like literally one day of putting out the last one? The answer one? is but yes. <laughs> the answer yeah. is yes. There's so many, like especially the day that we first release a podcast, the questions come flooding in, so it's amazing. TTL um, Nash rolls and- deep. Yeah, we appreciate keep, that. keep those coming. We we love it. If you don't do that, we you're just gonna have to listen to us talk about how we felt in our workout. Right. No, if people don't send questions, there is no podcast. I think people so. do want to hear about how you guys felt in your workouts, though. Speaking of which, you two look like you both got hit by a train. What happened? Oh yeah, well, well uh, we had a real busy day because just with training, we started out with a pretty hard bike ride where I went after a QOM for no reason, wasn't even prescribed, and then. Uh, Back that up with a tempo run so that we could finish uh, in time for my sister to come over to do massages on us because she's a massage therapist, which is a wonderful treat, um, but also necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, also that we could be done in, to- in order to record the pod in time so that Nick could get to his trail run. Yeah. So literally been back to back with everything. We're coordinating three people's <laughs> training plans around to oh, make yeah. this happen. Yeah. That's wild. But so it's going to be a short one. Do you guys feel like you're, you're like on track to, as far as your training goes for the PTO race? Yeah, well, we just sort of we sort of just started um, since Paula did her TT Champs race, and I did Alcatraz a couple of weeks ago. I've sort of just been doing volume since then, and this is our first week really into harder workouts um, for me in in like three weeks now since I did a taper and a race and and stuff. We so. really dove right back into it. Like we've done four hard workouts in a row at this point in two days. We did a hard bike, hard swim, another hard bike, and a hard run. So it feels like we're a little bit in the thick of it. But like we anticipated, it is pretty relaxed doing it in Canmore. And although today was busy, it's still not much to do aside from just training Yeah, and recording the pod. No <laughs> lawn to be mowed. There's, yeah, very few friends here. It's pretty chill. Yeah, we love it. And so both fun. of you are officially on the start list now. I saw that the PTO like published the start list officially and you're both on there. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah, that might be one of the questions today. But uh, asking about the yeah how you get onto it, yeah, we can get into that a little bit. But I was, I was surprised with how few of the top like five athletes on the women's side are doing it. Like no Lucy, she's injured. No Daniela, that's surprising. No Cat Matthews. I don't know. I just figured everyone would be there because it's such big prize money. But I guess people are prioritizing Kona and other things. Yeah, yeah, and they do have another chance, two more chances really to get that big amount of money with the Collins Cup, you know, just for showing up if you're ranked highly. And then the Dallas American, are we calling it the American Open? US, US Open. Open, yeah. Um, and, you know, after that. So <laughs> it sounds insane to say, but maybe people are like, well, I still got two more chances to make $100,000 this year. So just seems like the timing with Kona is kind of ideal to, to race right now at like a 70.3-ish distance, no? I think the problem is there's so many Ironman-length races this year, like with St. George and Kona both being world championships, that yeah. it's really hard to peak for two Ironman distance races and also peak for two half-distance races in the summer in between. It just 
leads too much up for like injury and burnout. If you're immediately coming off St. George and getting ready for Edmonton and Dallas and then immediately getting ready for Kona, I don't know if it's humanly possible to perform well at all four. So I think you do have to be selective. And obviously Kona is, you know, the biggest thing in our sport right now. And so if you have an opportunity to do well there, like, the women that do that aren't coming to Edmonton, then why wouldn't you go for that? I guess. Also, the, all the women that you named were not North American athletes, right? Oh, wait a second. That's true. So it's bigger travel. Yeah. No, no, you're right. Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah, and the start list is still insanely competitive. Like it's not 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 weak at all. But there's just a few notable names that aren't on it. Yeah. Well, it's coming up fast. I'm very excited to watch it as a as a fan, as an outsider. I yeah. I kind of wish I didn't know you guys just because I get nervous for you a little bit. I wish I could just view yeah. it as like, a, oh, cool thing that's happening in the sport. Who's going to win? Who cares? Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but right. other than that, I'm I'm still very excited for it. Well, very very cool. I thought we would start things off with a. I was talking to Mary Kane on Instagram, and she had a question that I thought would be perfect for a segment here in Bike Tech with Eric. Bike Tech with Eric! Wait, wait, wait. You were starting, you were on a... There's no way to just casually drop that. You were talking to Mary Kane on Instagram? Well, yeah, after she asked the question. She she replied... So now you guys are friends. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I don't know if we're friends, but yeah, we're friendly. After this, after this, I'll tell you how I was talking to Tom Cruise yeah. on, on Instagram. No big deal. <laughs> well, I think I she might have reacted to one of my stories or I reacted to one of hers and it, we just started a conversation. I said, thanks for ans- uh, asking the question, something like that. And then yeah. she brought up that She's she had really some cool. other questions. And so she had one uh, here that I wanted to ask Eric on our little bike tech with Eric segment. She was saying, okay. I would love to know how to clean a bike in a New York City apartment. Because it's easy for us to take oh. the bike out, hose it down. Obviously, she doesn't have the ability to do that. So, Eric, what would you recommend for someone, not just in New York City, but someone who doesn't have access necessarily to like some kind of lawn or driveway that they can actually rinse off their bike? Yeah, I think I would get like a you know like a squirt bottle from the store, just one of the empty ones, and fill that with water, and get like a towel or a rag or something, and try to spray off as much of like the heavy grit and gunk as you can down on the street before you go up using that, and then when you actually get it up into your apartment, then do it do something like an actual cleaner, like that cleaner degreaser that I have, or you know just simple green or whatever, and do like a, a little bit deeper clean in the entryway of the apartment probably. Do you think you would do paper towels or would you do some kind of cloth? I would never do paper towels. What a waste. <laughs> I <laughs> just for environmental reasons and and they just break down and stuff. Like, like you can get a like a 15 pack of microfiber towels from you know from like auto parts store or something like that. Those work really well and are easy on your paint and you can wash them in the washing machine after you're done. Cool. I also see a lot of people that take their bikes to a car wash, like a drive-through self-serve car wash, if they're really mucky, and mm. hose them down that way. If you have just like, if you're riding in the rain and the dirt and the mud and it gets really, really bad, you could do that before taking it back up to your apartment. Yeah, totally. The only thing I'll warn people about that is that those car wash pressure washers, if you point those too much towards parts of the bike that have bearings in them, uh, it can uh. actually get in between the bearings and get and like blow out the grease and ruin that component. So if you can yeah. just at those car washes use like a, if there's a mode that has like minimum amount of pressure, like uh, rinse mode, rinse mode, yeah, something like that. Uh, and yeah. or if not that, then stand really far away and try not to point it at any components that have bearings. Yeah, that's a good. Which point. would be the headset, 
the I don't know, what, the cassette, <laughs> the, the rear cassette, of the wheel, basically yeah, the, the bottom bracket, the hubs of the wheel, and the bottom bracket. You're yeah. just getting the frame real clean. Yeah. On this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can like you can spray it onto your chain, but just not like right at the bottom bracket. Ideally, you know. Just like around this chain stay. That's great advice though, Paula. I have seen people do that before now that I think about it. That's a that's a yeah. smart move. Cool. And then Eric, I had a question for you. I just installed new rotors on my road bike. And now already they're kind of like there's like they're just not as clean as they were. And I'm trying to keep them as clean as possible. What can I use on rotors to keep the rotors clean? Not necessarily oh, the braking surface of the rotors, but like the central part that just kind of doesn't do anything other than provide structural support. Um, I mean, again, I've used that cleaner degreaser, but I would not like, do not spray it directly at the rotors, like put some on a rag and just make sure that you're not getting anything ideally on the actual shiny part. Because if you get, if you get stuff on there, it's it, that's what causes brakes to squeak and it may never stop squeaking Yeah, ever again. So I think... Uh, I don't even want, I don't even want to recommend a thing to, to clean this this shiny part with. But off off air, I think like uh, like alcohol, cleaning alcohol, rubbing alcohol would be it. Uh, and then the last question I had to keep in on the theme with cleaning the bike is: Is there any way to clean bar tape? Or at that point, should I just you know? Actually, I have black bar tape that's still somehow holding up. But for people who want to clean their bar tape, should they just replace it? Or do you think there's a way to clean it? I mean, you can clean it a little bit. Um, try different. Always get black bar tape. They never have. Yeah, to. I would just I would just get black bar tape to be honest. But if you do really want to clean it, I've had a little bit of luck with yeah, like a degreaser, like a light thing, like a yeah, like the simple green, mm. a citrus degreaser, and you just be gentle with it and try not to rub it like in a direction that's going to cause it to pull up or anything. And but uh, it's. Not going to have a ton of luck. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Once it gets dirty, it's kind of dirty. But I do think black bar tape kind of solves that. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for that, uh, Eric and Paul. I, I liked your your contribution to that as well. Uh, I can contribute to bike tech with yeah, Eric. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> love it. Uh, cool. And actually, one of the questions actually was saying that they liked the bike tech with Eric segments. Uh, people, tinkerers out there, they appreciate it. Um, so yeah. I, if you guys are cool with it, we could just move on to these questions right now. Yeah, let's do Wonderful. it. Wonderful. So you guys can send questions into that triathlon life brand at gmail.com. Uh, this week we somehow had enough, but we always love getting all the questions. So keep sending them in. The first one is from Jen. Hey, Paula, Eric, Nick, and Flynn. My questions are around the topic of traveling to races with your bike or bikes. And this goes out to all three of the humans because Flynn doesn't have a bike yet. Uh, when you fly to a race, what kind of case do you use to transport your bikes? And do you have any tricks slash tips for doing so? I'm considering buying my own bike case for travel since I've probably spent that amount in rental fees. Any uh, wrecks on bike travel cases, hard or soft brands? Thank you, Jen. This, yeah. is, this is actually super timely because yes. we're kind of in the middle very, of a transition. Very apropos. Yeah. Transition of our of, of our bike bags. Yeah. Yeah, we're just on the constant hunt for the best one. And we've always used Sycon bags, which are really easy to pack and really tri-bike friendly. Like you don't really have to take many of the aero bar components off, so they're really convenient. But they don't inspire a lot of confidence in terms of protection. We've, knock on wood, never had an issue with our bike frame being cracked. But there are definitely bike bags out there that are 
a lot more uh, sturdy seeming, I guess. Yeah. Protective. I yeah. always wrap my bike in bubble wrap no matter what. Yeah, the, the Cycon's a 100% soft-sided bag, and I, I do think like the upside of it is that it's got room for your bike to move. And, and when it's a softer bag, I think TSA takes it a little more seriously versus if you just have like one of the classic Thule clamshells, they'll freaking put anything and everything on top of it. And <laughs> not so much the case with the softer bags. So I think that's why we may have had such good luck with them. Yeah. Yeah. But I just recently got a Thule bag and the only reason we haven't used the Thule soft cases before is that with tri bikes, it's like really complicated to take the base bar off. But with the tri, the shiv bike that I have, you can actually fold the base bar down with two bolts. So it fits inside a standard road case. And I love it. It's so beautiful and it. It's fairly easy to pack. It comes actually with a bike stand. So you can take that out of the bag and build your bike that way, which makes it a little easier. Yeah, Um, it's really cool. It's like the inside thing that your bike is actually like the fork is mounted to and then the bottom bracket's sort of strapped onto, clamps right onto this tripod, which is like then a bike work stand that you can unbuild, rebuild, work on your bike a little bit with, and then you just pop it off of there and click it into the bag and you're done. It's so nice versus like having to straddle this bike bag that's like floppy in your hotel room with no room. And it's, yeah, it's a the really Yeah, nice the Thule one's beautiful. Do we want to talk about that? The one that I found, yeah. or yeah, what one did you find? The Evoc one. The Evoc one, one yeah. yeah. I was just gonna say oh, that perfect, Heather and Wadi just got these Evoc bags, and they're so beautiful. And we're considering just getting two and selling everything else we have. Yeah. Even though we love Thule, we're pretty loyal to Thule, and they yeah. treat us really nicely. But these Evoc bags, they are, they're like shaped like a tri bike. Like you don't even have to take anything off. Yeah, you don't have to and take they, the they look- extensions out. You don't have to take right. uh, wheels off. Wait, no, you do you have do to take wheels to take off. To take you, don't have to take <laughs> you, you don't have to take pedals. You theoretically, you theoretically can. Right. right. Yeah. I would still take your pedals off. Yeah. Just why not? It takes thirty yeah. seconds. Why not? Yeah. But Nick, you're also in the in the market for a bike bag. Correct. I've never had to fly anywhere to race, and I will have to in September. And I had yeah. found this Evoc bag a couple of years ago, and I was like, this is the one I'm going to get. And then now I finally have to purchase it. Wait, yeah. it's not new? I thought it was a new thing. Uh, no, it's, I mean, it's new-ish, but it, it was definitely oh, wow. a thing. It was either a year or two years ago I had found it. I was like, this is the perfect compromise for me. It's mostly soft. So like Eric said, TSA treats it with a little more respect, but you don't have to take the, the like headset apart, not the headset. You don't have to take the, the base bar and the aero bars off or anything yeah. like that. It just seemed, and it was, and it's rigid up top. It's kind of like this hybrid. Here's the plan. You're, you buy it Great. and then. Test it. Report back and give us a review because <laughs> we want to buy one too. And apparently this person does as well. So. I'd do it. Like if they've got it in stock, dude, don't wait. Yeah, they, do it they now have it before they are gone. Well, here's yeah, the, here's the goal. If anyone from Evoc is listening, uh, I'm open to being sponsored by you. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm, so are we. I'm the most average age grouper ever. Uh, and that can no, be our tagline. You're welcome, would... for the free, you're welcome for the free advertisement just yeah, now. That's yeah. right. Please reciprocate. We'll sell at least three with this pod. <laughs> yes, so. that's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> I guess we should probably just say, just in case people, you know, it's E-V-O-C is how that is spelled. It's like evoke, E-V-O-C. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, hopefully that was helpful, Jen. I think the the biggest takeaway is that people think that hard sh- hard cases are always better. But what Eric said, I think, is really important, which is that it it offers the same amount of protection at a certain type of pressure. But TSA may treat the bag differently um, if it's a soft case versus a hard case. That's that's what that's why not My, everyone maybe. gets a hard case, right? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. maybe. <laughs> hard cases are also very heavy. Yeah. Right. 
Um, okay, well, thank you for that question, Jen. Moving on, this is from Carly. Hi there, Eric, Flynn, Nick, and Paula in alphabetical order. I'm starting to train for my first ever triathlon. Thank you for the inspiration. I am most nervous about the swimming aspect, as, uh, as are many people. Uh, my only experience with open water swimming is in the ocean off the beaches of Prince Edward Island, fellow Canadian here. And oftentimes there are groups of tiny fish or even jellyfish swimming around these waters. My question is, have any of you had any weird or funny encounters with sea creatures during your training or races? Can't wait to follow along for PTO Edmonton. Cheers, Carly. Um... One year that I did the Triton Man event in San Diego, which is right there next to Fiesta Island, like in Mission Bay area, there was a full-on jellyfish. I don't know if you call it a bloom or (laughs) (laughs) thing going on, and it was it was like swimming through tapioca. It's the weirdest thing ever. They were not stinging jellyfish in any way, but it there was more jellyfish in the water than water. And you swam through it. And, and we swam through it. It was the strangest feeling thing I've I've ever experienced. Oh my gosh. Yeah. A group of jellyfish is called a smack of jellyfish. <laughs> this was the biggest smack Googled of jellyfish it. I've ever seen. Wow, that's great. Uh, I have swam with a bunch of dolphins and like uh, little sea lions. Um, happens all the time off the coast here. Never jellyfish though. I guess I have swam with jellyfish, but not in, in LA. Never, never had a... Scary encounter. I mean, it's always a little funny when you're swimming with these like sea creatures that are in control of the sea when I'm like barely floating. It's always a little bit scary, but it's kind of fun at the same time. Yeah. Paula, what about you? I've never had any encounters, so I'll be a pass on this question. Do you guys have any fish (laughs) in the river in Bend? Yeah, I've seen fish. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's like a wildlife encounter. (laughs) (laughs) Swim into a wetsuit or anything. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Seen some minnows. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Some minnows. You guys have a full on like toad, uh, uh, like a, a frog infestation outside your house. So, I... oh yeah, that's true. We need to deal with that. <laughs> um, a tadpole farm. I don't going. know. I think it's pretty awesome. I, they sing every night. Yeah, we basically have a pond that we don't upkeep. It's just was there when we bought the house, and it, it's frog it's heaven. Frog heaven. They're so loud. Yeah. At first, it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. We're in nature. And then it's like, wow, they're going at it. Going at it. Like one (laughs) keeps starts going and they all start, they're like screaming. I love it. I love it. So loud. We can't even sleep. Well, thank you for that question, Carly. Next question is from Jonathan. Hey, Paula, Eric, Nick, and Flynn. Sorry, hometown hero has to go first. Loving the pods and so happy to see everyone being successful in all your racing this year. I've been training for the Canadian PTO race and going up and down the hills over and over and getting both excited, but also a bit nervous. Listening to the pod really helps me refocus that I should just go out and have fun. I'm not a pro, not a front of the pack age grouper either. Just finish and have fun. Love hearing that. My question though, and maybe I'm not looking in the right place, how does one make it to the starting list of the open races. I'm super pumped that Eric was just announced on the starters list and he spoke in the past about getting a spot, but how do racers get there? It's a bit confusing because now they're talking about wild card spots too. Thanks and take care all, Jonathan. Yeah, super, super it's applicable question to Massively the, confusing. No, it's not that confusing. If you're, if you're ranked in the top 50, you got a spot on the start list. And then beyond that, um, they're allowing five wildcard selections for people that might not be in the top 50 for reasons like they're racing ITU or they had an injury or they were on maternity leave. Um, 
give them the opportunity to race as well. And I think those slots will be announced in the next few weeks. So Eric was ranked 50th in the PTO rankings. So therefore he got on the start list without needing a wild card. It's not that. It's not. It's yes. Yeah. It's complicated how the it was point actually system works. Top but. 40 automatically go and then they start rolling it down. <clears throat> but you had to be ranked in the top 50 minimum to be even eligible to get a roll down spot. So it rolled down to me. I was in the top 50. Yeah. Which um, is amazing because at the beginning of the year, what were you ranked? Yeah, like but that was kind of way that was weird, there. right? Well, no, I mean it wasn't weird. It was just that y- you have to go to races and have really fast times. It's not just about going and winning a race. And it's three races over the co- over the past year. Asterisk, 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 and you know, like there's a bunch of ifs thens about it, but basically, you just have to have three really good performances in the last year, essentially. Unless you've raced certain events that the those numbers last for two years, right? Right. There's there's a couple of exceptions in there, and Ironman races are worth more points, and there's yeah, there's a lot of things to the point system, but like Paula said, ranked inside of the top fifty. And then the wild cards are just a judgment call based on who the PTO deems to be an exciting athlete, or is there some criteria for that as well? No, no criteria. Like, for example, they could uh, offer Flora Duffy a wild card because she's an Olympic champion, or... They could offer you a wild card if they just decided that would be the most interesting thing for the broadcast. No, they're going to... I mean, Come on, probably, Evoc, give me that bike bag. I'm going to PTO Edmonton. Yeah, you probably need win. to be a professional athlete. That's, I think, the only requirement. Yeah. Show really. these pros who's they, who. They also give the host country one wild card slot each. So oh. Canada can invite one male and one female Canadian who is not ranked in the top 50. I think it would be interesting to have, like, I was just watching Lionel's Montremblant video and this part where he's just going by every pro on the bike because he had a flat at the yeah, beginning. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that is so interesting to watch. Think of how fun it would be to watch all the pros go 10 miles an hour faster than me on the bike, just fly by me, me trying as hard as I can. No, you wouldn't, I, even, it's like, you wouldn't be ahead of them out of the water. That's the thing. Excuse me. I'm a fantastic swimmer. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Isn't that, a, isn't that like a Seinfeld skit or something? We need to like throw in a, a random person in into every Olympic event. Yeah, just of course. It's like for some context. It's like watching the 5K. You're like, these guys are just out for a jog. They're not going fast at all. You know what? Put average Joe out there running his fastest quarter mile and he can't even come close to their 5K yeah. pace. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what we need. Um, but yeah, okay, got it. So it, the, we'll see. And you said in the next few days, a uh, few weeks, they'll be they'll be yeah. And in typical the PTO cards. fashion, they're going to release them very dramatically and slowly, and one at a time. <laughs> right, <laughs> we right. will find out. I mean, it builds excitement. I get it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Hopefully, that cleared it up for you. Uh, next question is from Liz. Hello, team. Oh, this is great. This is great. I love this already. New listener here and first-time question submitter. My name is Liz, and I've been listening for about three weeks now, including retroactively listening to old pods. We'll be super bummed when I run out of content because I've quite enjoyed the feedback and insights that they provide. To confirm, I did, in fact, find your pod via searching triathlon in Spotify. You were the first result. (gasps) No way. So there it is. We we got one for sure. That's great. Love that. We love being the top triathlon pod. It's our life goal. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I love it. Well, you know that we're also the number five running podcast in Canada. Wow, even better. (laughs) (laughs) We're not even a running podcast. Even cooler. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's, it's cool. We love it. Um, Some context. I'm an age grouper finishing middle to late in the pack. The distances I focus on are 70.3 and full distance triathlons. My question is around balancing 
workout-based versus distance-based sessions. Traditionally, I've been hyper-focused on distance-based because I thought it was critical to get the body used to the miles and time under tension. I'm beginning to worry that my strategy is much too biased for me to make speed improvements. Can you give insights into good balance between workout-based and distance-based? And and then she clarifies, she says, workout-based, I mean like sprint intervals, hill repeats, et cetera, versus distance-based being building to a 20-mile or 100-mile bike, not Mm -hmm. really focusing on effort. Best Liz. Mm. Also, she did hashtag TTL Nish spelled N-E-I-G-H-S-H, which is, I, f- I feel like that's pretty close to. Yeah, that's cool. It's like I spoke geisha, kind of. Yes. <laughs> good um, question, good question. So this is like basically sort of a how many hard workouts to do a week. I don't think ish. necessarily. I think it's confusing because we do our workouts on the bike just time-based. Yes. And then we do a lot of our running also time-based, but I think a lot of athletes do that distance-based, like kilometer repeats or a 10-kilometer run. Or, um, yeah, I think it's a lot more common in running to do things by miles or by kilometers versus by time. I find that doing things by time um, allows, like she said, a lot more opportunity to push yourself a little bit more or to not push yourself as much if you're not feeling well. It doesn't put this kind of like limiter on yourself or expectation on yourself. Say you're doing kilometer repeats and you know what you can realistically hold or what you should be holding. It takes that stress away if you just do four-minute repeats instead, like four minutes on, one minute off. Don't pay attention to the distance you're going. Just go hard for four minutes. Um, I don't know. Different coaches have different approaches. We just tend to do a lot more of our training time-based versus distance. Yeah. But I don't know if that's answering your question. It's funny because when I read her question, I thought she was talking about one thing. And Mm -hmm. then when she tries to clarify, it sounds like workout-based, she's talking about quality. And distance-based, she's talking about volume. Getting in the distance that you may be racing. Right, right. Well, the distance would just be like getting to the end of 100 miles, not necessarily pushing yourself in any way. Versus if you go and do five by five minutes on the bike or five by... A, a hill climb, you're really pushing yourself beyond just your aerobic finishing pace for a long ride. So I think it does make you better to do that kind of structured training for your hard sessions. And then it's still definitely important to get in your longer rides where you're doing things to get through a certain distance. I think my instinct tells me that faster of an athlete you are at a full distance, then maybe you can start focusing like more on like high intensity stuff. But if you're like, she, she says, uh, like a middle of the pack to late in the pack, it seems like the priority still is like getting those long aerobic days in, right? Like yeah. I would agree really high, really, really successful pro athletes, they can still put a ton of intensity into an Ironman. Yeah. Like they're still pushing hard for a lot of the race. Whereas like age groupers that are finishing middle or the back, it's really just controlling your effort the whole time, much more so and trying to yeah. save as much as possible. And just making sure your muscles can endure a full marathon or a half marathon. Exactly. Yeah, like yeah. can you can you actually finish it? Yeah. yeah. But I'm just like you guys. Guys, I love the time-based approach for the exact reasons you said it, Paula. Other than other than the pool, which obviously you, you can't really do by time, it's like the running and the cycling for me, I really like doing by time instead of by distance. Yeah, I yeah. like it a lot too. And another thing about, um, like you said, getting in the full distance and doing things more 
less focused on intensity is that a lot of time age groupers don't have as much time to train. So therefore doing an hour bike ride with some intensity, I think is more beneficial than just doing an hour bike ride at your Ironman pace. It could be an effective tool with limited training hours to get fitter. So it's not like one or the other. I think it's important to incorporate both if possible. Yep. Yeah. Love that. Eric is like (laughs) the master of just doing what his coach tells him and not thinking about it. Whereas I'm like analyzing so many things. I mean, both approaches have benefits and negatives. Um, But yeah, Eric doesn't think about it. He just does it. (laughs) I'm I'm closer to Eric. I'm like, here's what's on the plan and I'm just going to do it. That's what I like about having a training plan. I know it works for me. And I know that putting in some of these like three hour rides that are kind of hard and under tension is, is works really well for me. But also if I don't do some race paced, you know, Mm -hmm. um, timed intervals, uh, biking and running, then it's just not going to develop the speed required to go how fast 70.3s are these days. Yeah. I'd say that if this person's new to triathlon, they'll start to learn what works for them too. Yeah. If I was just doing an Ironman though, like I would, I feel like it would probably slant a lot more in the direction of just getting long, longer, more volume in and relying on some speed, quote unquote, from what we've already done. Liz, thank you for that question. That was a good question. And also, thanks for listening to the podcast. We're yes, really happy you course. found us. <laughs> yes, we're really happy you found us, and we will try to we'll try to keep you. We'll try to keep you as a fan. Yeah. Um, and our our last question here, and this one, I'm I'm very curious what you guys say about this because I think a, I wonder about how pros would answer this question, and I think a lot of people wonder how pros would answer this question. The question is from Tommy in Boulder, Colorado. I had a question regarding Paula's recent TT success. Congrats again. If you look at your successful performance on a 100% scale, what percent would you attribute to the following three categories? One, your fitness and talent. Two, your aero technique, like aero positioning, bike handling, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And three, your equipment. Just curious, on a shorter, more focused event like this TT, how would you break down the major aspects that ultimately led to this big win? Also, would Eric consider a TT in the future? Thanks, and have a great time up in Canada ahead of the PTO race. Hashtag TTL Nish, N-E-I-G-H-S-H-H-H-H. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love it. That was a great question. Um, yeah, this is an interesting I, question. I also want you guys to answer, I want both of you to answer this, because I not just the TT, I wonder about your triathlon success as yeah, well, how yeah. you would break it down in these numbers. I agree. And they don't have to necessarily be the same as the TT, but. Yep. I would say 50% talent in the training, 10% aero and bike skills, and 40% having the fastest equipment I can possibly have. Wow. Maybe maybe even like 60, 10, 30. I don't know. I feel like top end bikes um, are all fast these days. And my aero position, I haven't focused a ton on it. Um, and my bike handling skills are garbage. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's not what he's asking. He's asking, did that contribute? So like n- not, so you're saying no, because the course wasn't really technical. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Right. And of course, aero position is important in a TT. And I think my aero position is decent, but it's not something that I focused for months and months on perfecting. Um, exactly. When I went to the wind tunnel with specialized, we found that moving my bars up or down didn't have a significant impact in my overall drag. So we've went with a position that was a bit less aggressive, but comfortable and powerful. So, um, and then, yeah, just a lot of it is for some reason, I'm really good at going hard for 45 minute intervals. 
<laughs> genetically. Yeah. Eric, what about you? I mean, and, and Paula, do you, do you think that those, sta- those same splits there, the way you're breaking up those ratios, do you think those are the same for your triathlon success? I think so, yeah, about that. Mm, cool. I'm interested what to hear you, Eric? Eric's breakdown, though, yeah. Um, I would say that for me, it's much more like 70% fitness talent. It's like kind of a little bit interesting to put fitness and talent into the same category. I agree. I agree. Or like 60 or 70. Um, and then I would like add in another category just for, you know, I'm not sure it fits into fitness and preparation, but like being mentally ready for the event and mentally ready to go hard, not overtrain. So maybe that's inside of the fitness aspect, but I feel like that could even be one of the biggest factors or percentages of all, even, you know, like 40% of your performance is really, are you ready to go hard? Are you scared? Are you just, you know, mentally, mentally ready for a hard effort and and excited for it versus, oh man, I can't believe I have to do this. And then I, I really, I don't think the bike um, as long as we're comparing to like the best truck and the best specialized right, and the best Argon right. and the best giant, I don't, I think the bike is like a very, very small percentage point. Um, like in assuming in the, you have a top end bike, right? Exactly. That's the thing. It's like every brand that makes his top end bikes, like they're all amazing bikes. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. all good enough to do really well at something like this. But it, if it was like a road bike versus the fastest TT bike, the specialist right. made, that's a huge difference. Yeah. Right. That's like a 30% difference. Yeah. <laughs> but ultimately still like, you know, um, a world-class tour rider is going to be able to spank anybody, even like a continental pro, you know, when they're on a road bike versus a TT bike, it's an engine is still going to make this, you're going to have the biggest impact. Yeah. Yeah. And then what was, the, what was the final one? like I was just Skills kidding. and stuff. I would skills. say Eric's skills have a bigger percentage than mine would because you're so good at skills. My skills have, have the, in mean, a race like Alcatraz, the skills play, at, we'll say, a 20%, um, 20%, 30% thing. But I would say the typical 70.3 out there, it's like in the neighborhood of 10 or less percent. Like people have won Kona unclipping at the U-turn and putting a foot down. You know, it's just... It's a non-issue relative to your your engine and your ability to handle heat and in most rate in most seventy in most seventy point threes yeah. And then something that because these three categories that Tommy broke these down into, they're they're interesting. But I it made me think of something else. If I, I wonder how much of your success, Paula and Eric, comes from this physiological gift that you were given at birth versus the mental game that you guys have had with the training. So I think if you had to break, and this maybe is a little awkward because you have to talk about yourself in, in this kind of funny way, but if you, like if we took Paula's brain and put it in my body and I was born in Edmonton and had the same family Paula had, do you think it would have been possible? Could I have had the success that's Paula had, that Paula's had? Or was there just this thing that, like this physiological thing at birth that Paula had? <laughs> Paula, you've, you've grown up around athletes your whole life. Mm-hmm. So you've seen, hey, this girl works just as hard as me and she's less fit or more fit. Or this person works nowhere near as hard as I do and is so much fitter. Do you have a sense for how you, how your, the things that you can't control have helped you be an athlete? Uh, specifically like a one of the top pro triathletes in the world? Yeah, I think definitely your genetics and physiology play a big part of it. But everyone at the top end of the sport is pretty similar in that aspect, I'd say. 
in terms of like their physiological ability <laughs> or ceiling or gift or whatever it is. Um, and then like Eric said, a lot of it then comes down to your mental capacity to push hard and to train hard and to train smartly and not get injured and be consistent. There's so many pieces to the puzzle that people deal with differently. Yeah. But I, I mean, both of my parents are really good athletes. I think that definitely has a, has a part of it, not just physiologically, but the way that I grew up training and being active and being introduced to sports and watching my parents compete. (laughs) It's all like the competitive drive is a big part of it as well. Not just your, um, physical ability. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up immersed in sports just like Paula. I grew up swimming and got into triathlon at a really young age and everything, but, um, neither of my parents are high level athletes at all by any stretch of the imagination. My, my dad just in his later years got into cycling and does cycle Oregon and kind of like bigger one day rides and stuff, but he doesn't race. And my mom played a little bit of softball in high school and that's it. So I definitely feel like a bigger part of my success is like perseverance and working hard slowly over time. I didn't like have any, like my first triathlon I did, I was the hundredth place. And it took me like four years to ever win a triathlon and to win my age group at national championships took me a long, long time. So, um, I, I certainly subscribe more to like trying hard. (laughs) Hard work pays off. Yeah. (laughs) And my last thing is, and I hope I can ask you this in a way that makes sense. If you had to quantify from zero to a hundred, zero being the least that in a hundred people, the least and 100, the most at the highest level of pro triathlon, if you had to, if you had to quantify the genetic gift that people were given versus how great their mental game is, like Eric was saying, like perseverance, training hard, overcoming difficulty. Do you think there's a bigger spread in the genetic gift department or in how strong people are mentally? Like, is everyone at the top level a 100 on the genetic, uh, you know, gift? And then you just have people like, let's say, stereotypically Lionel, who can just push hard and work hard versus someone who is constantly up and down and, and like gets in their own head and misses training sessions because of it. Um, I mean, there's no way Lionel's going the speeds that he's going without some sort of genetic gift and his genetic gift might be high lung capacity or bigger blood vessels or, you know, whatever it is like, you know, some, another person's genetic gift might be really bouncy calves and, and long Achilles tendons so that they can run quickly, you know, like, and another person's is mental perseverance. And these are all different, you know talents or things that you were gifted with. And I'd say the people that are at the very top have like the, the best blend of all of these things. They have the, the, the engine, they have a very efficient technique and they have the mental capacity to not burn themselves out or just collapse under pressure. So it's like a very much a sum of all parts kind of a thing. I think there's a lot of top athletes though, that do get in their own head more than we think and could perform better if they, we're more mentally not strong, but this is a really stressful sport and it's really hard. And the roller coasters are just hard to deal with. And some people deal with them better than others. So it's I definitely no one is to blame if they struggle mentally during uh, tough times, but some people can bounce back quicker than others and easier than other people. Yeah. And that's a pretty classic Achilles heel of a high level performer, you know, like in, in any, anything, whether it's like the, 
a symphony or it's a or it's a running race, like a lot of the times that great mental capacity for work and, you know, obsessiveness with an end goal can also come around to bite you. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like both of you are saying that at the top level, everyone has a similar kind of gift. Maybe it's distributed differently, but similar gift. It's just how everyone has handled that and let and and grown that in, in different ways and nurtured that gift. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody at the top that's just like, woefully untalented and they just worked and worked right. and worked and like there's something going right yeah. right 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 cool cool awesome yeah i guess i've always wondered that a little bit because we all us age groupers we always compare ourselves i don't even know if our questions are accurate i think i it's think just our opinion man i, w- I would yeah. say that like relative to a sport like like basketball or baseball or some of these a little bit more technique driven sports like triathlon has a higher percentage of people that would be quote-unquote less talented than than the top basketball players out there that they were able to compensate with with more just like slow work over time and building an aerobic right. engine. Nick, you got to go do your trail run. We're running out of yeah, time I gotta here. Yeah, I got to go. I got to go. And I hear uh, my friend Kylie's here right now. Yeah, oh, I got to no. beat you guys in the vert challenge. Yeah, we have a vert challenge on Strava going and I'm dreadfully like low down on the list. You're going to beat me after cool. today, I think, Nick. Today I'm going to pass you again. Yes. I keep getting notifications. Paula Finley has passed you. I know. I think you like, and me oh, are going to dare her. We're going to yo-yo we're gonna a little go back bit. And forth. Yeah, yeah, because we're not like these crazy vert monkeys that just yeah, like exactly. climb two thousand. Well, meters. I feel like I am, but compared to a professional who is not, I feel like it kind of it equals out. Yeah, out yeah, yeah. yeah. I think your vert per mile is going to be very high yeah. up there, but yes. it'll just be if you have yes. the time to get the volume. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Cool. Awesome. Well, well I'm glad we got this one in. Hopefully, TTL Nation appreciates our grind getting uh, getting this podcast out a few days after the yeah. one we put out. And oh, it's good to be regular. <laughs> and in thanks it. to the, everyone who sent a question in yesterday, because basically those are the questions we answered today. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How's that for that's instant right. gratification? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Asking you uh, shall so receive. Basically, it's basically a hotline at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we're just going to be live all week. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, thank you guys so much. We'll be back uh, next Thursday. Can't wait to check in with you guys, see how it's all going. All right. Thanks, man. Bye, guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Ciao.